0: By 2042, more than 50% of the U.S. population will have skin of color, and this means that all dermatologists must be capable and comfortable diagnosing, treating, and dispensing prevention advice for skin conditions across the spectrum of skin tones. In part two of a three-part podcast series on dermatologic issues facing patients with darker skin tones, Dr. Andrew Alexis, a dermatologist from New York City and the president of the Skin of Color Society, Dr. Corey Hartman, a dermatologist in Birmingham, Alabama, and Janine Luke, a dermatologist in Loma Linda, California, discuss the importance of early diagnosis and treatment of scarring alopecia.
1: Well, hello, I'm Dr. Alexis, uh, president of the Skin of Color Society, and I'm joined by two esteemed colleagues from the the Skin of Color Society, Dr. Corey Hartman and Dr. Janine Luke. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a really hot topic uh, that uh, disproportionately affects our patients with skin of color, especially those of African descent, and that is scarring alopecias. And I don't know about you, but uh, there isn't a day that goes by in my office where I don't see scarring alopecia. I'm sure the same is for you. Um, so, um, Janine, why don't we start with you? I'd love to hear your perspectives on early diagnosis of scarring alopecia, because we all know that the earlier we we catch these um, uh, disorders that are associated with permanent scarring of the follicles, the better we do for our patients. And so, uh, any tips, tricks that you could share with our derm community about uh, early diagnosis?
2: Yes, early diagnosis is key. I will say I have seen a shift in my practice. Before I, when I, when I started out several years ago, I would see a lot of patients who've had, you know, hair loss for five years, 10 years. And I still see some of those patients, but I'm seeing starting to see a lot more patients who are coming in sooner along in their process. And I think it's really important because when I talk to patients, I kind of refer to the fact that time is hair. And so we don't want to waste any time, especially if there's an inflammatory or scarring process going on. So I'm always kind of talking to my patients, walking them through the process. What we don't want is we don't want permanent destruction of the follicles and so that's why I'm always emphasizing and and thankfully throughout you know social media more public increased public awareness um, partnerships with our hairstylists patients are coming in sooner and that is um, a a better prognosis for them Corey
3: yeah I, I agree with you I love time as hair I try to stress to people you know that if this is a problem that's better prevented than treated and we are limited by the time that the inflammation sits in the scalp just getting people to understand that i think that culturally among the black population you know there's this misconception that tenderness and itching and irritation in the scalp is just kind of a normal thing that they're supposed to endure because that's what their family members have all dealt with. I'm like, yeah, but all your family members have hair loss too. So let's be smart and proactive about getting on top of that, because the longer that that goes on, the more likely you are to develop a problem that I'm not going to be able to help you with. Also, I think that there's a gap in, in general in dermatology, but specifically in scarring alopecia that people don't always see these conditions as chronic conditions that need ongoing maintenance and therapy. So, you know, you come in once, you get injections, things get better. That's not a license to go seven years, you know, with no treatment, no therapy, because the likelihood is that if you let that go long enough, when you come back in seven years, I'm going to have really bad news for you. And sadly, I've seen that happen far too many times. So I'm glad to hear, Dr. Luke, that you are starting to see patients come in sooner and recognizing those early signs that there is a problem. Um, I'm I'm happy that there are so many more doctors in the space, dermatologists, who understand this prevalence and understand the severity and the need to get on this early. I hope that this is um, a message that's being taught in residencies, you know, across the country, across um, states and across different demographic groups, because this is an epidemic and there are not enough black dermatologists that we only like 3%, right? (laughs) So there are not enough of us to do this alone. And we have to have everybody on board to really be able to tackle this problem to help to save these patients um, from unnecessary scarring.
2: Yeah, I love that you, I mean, you hit on so many important things. Um, I think the key, like you mentioned, is starting early, teaching our residents exactly how to recognize the various types of alopecia. I have so many patients that come into me and they say, well, they just told me it was traction or they just told me it was this. And there are so many different diagnoses, especially when it comes to inflammatory and scarring alopecia. People could have frontal fibrosing alopecia, but they were told they had traction, you know, and all of these LPP, like all these various diagnoses, and people were just told it was it's traction. So um, I know in our residency program, we do specifically teach our residents about hair care practices, so that they have the understanding and awareness, and they can engage in, um, you know, very important conversations with their patients, and have a full or, or at least a better understanding of exactly what's going on. Um, and then also, as we learn more, we can, you know, better counsel, our patients I think the days are gone of like just blaming our patients for their hair care practices but really understanding that there's an underlying inflammatory condition and that is leading to or you know the cause of what's going on and it's you know a lot of times people use these hair care practices in order to camouflage Um, And so that that we need to understand that, too, that there's that component that, yes, it can worsen or exacerbate the hair loss, but it may not be the underlying cause.
0: Central, centrifugal, cicatricial alopecia, or CCCA, is the most common type of scarring alopecia and one that disproportionately affects black women. While common hair care practices may play a role, CCCA is a chronic inflammatory disorder with a genetic predisposition. This is important to point out when counseling patients so they don't feel like they are being blamed.
1: I completely agree. And it's uh, one thing that you said there about blaming the patient for their hair care practices, uh, which is is always a mistake. And uh, it's good that we now actually have data to support uh, genetic uh, predisposition for CCCA, one of the the more common scarring alopecia that disproportionately affect our women of African descent. So I'll always mention that uh, this is a chronic inflammatory disorder with a genetic predisposition. However, some of our common hair care practices, those that might put some tension or uh, chemical injury or heat injury, so three, three types of injury, micro injury to the follicles, could contribute to the uh, inflammation that we see and the damage. So we're, we're not dismissing the hair care practices, but at the same time, not uh, just blaming the patient for, for, for their uh, practices. And then of course comes some recommendations. After, If we're implicating hair care practices into the ideology of their hair loss problem, we have to give them solutions or alternatives to what they're doing. So that, I find that's that's probably one of the biggest challenges we all face. So I'd love to hear your approaches to um, recommending alternative hair care practices when you think the hair care practice is playing a role in that patient's particular hair loss. Um, like Dr. Her, work, would you like to start?
3: Sure. I, I like to work with local hairdressers and hairstylists because I do think that this is a collaborative effort. And I while I'm well-equipped and educated to diagnose, you know, disorders of the scalp and the hair shaft, I am not always able to be as well-versed on the innovations in the hair care world per se. So um, that's been helpful for me as, as you know, a man in the space who doesn't necessarily always participate in, in these hair care practices. And I, I might not, you know, personally be is aware, I find that it's helpful to have some allies in the community that can help to educate me as well about the options that are out there. Janine?
2: Yeah, I I completely agree. And I also partner with um, stylists, you know, so it's interesting, because I like to partner with the patients. It's easy to say, stop your hair care practices and I'll see you in six months. But that's, again, like you were mentioning, it's not helping the patient. And so there are different things. And you also have to to look at the person who's in front of you. Like telling someone complete hair rest and not doing anything to their hair might not be acceptable to that patient. And so is it, okay, are we relaxing less frequently? Um, You know, are we going to try to go natural? Are we going to transition um into a different hairstyle so that way it doesn't put as much tension? Are we going to try a wig for a short period of time while we're undergoing treatment? And so I think having these conversations, really understanding who's in front of you and knowing what, what may or may not work with their lifestyle and professional status or choices. I also tell them too like if they're like Dr. Luke, I can't do that, I can't do that, I just go, okay, so you understand this would be more beneficial for you. If you can't do it, this may be the result that we get. We may still get some continued damage to your follicles. Your hair may continue to break if you're weakening it by continuing to straighten or relax it. And then we kind of have to work with that as well. So just kind of one, giving them some alternatives, but two, also understanding the limitations and, and really kind of trying to work best with your patient with, with what they
1: can do. Excellent. And, you know, something I'm really taking away from, from both of you, Dr. Luke and Dr. Hartman, in terms of this conversation is that when we approach our patients with hair loss, especially scarring alopecia, uh, conveying that it's a partnership between us and them and maybe other parties such as their, um, hairstylists. Um, but, um, Conveying that it's a partnership that you're in it together, and you're coming up with solutions that will align with what we know as experts, uh, as dermatologists, and what their needs are with respect to their self identity and culture and other drivers of hair care hair care choices. So, thank you. Those were great pearls.
0: Experts agree that early diagnosis of CCCA and other types of scarring alopecia is key to staving off unnecessary scarring.
1: I think that using the dermatoscope when it comes to detecting uh, CCCA and other scarring alopecias early has really uh, improved my ability to to diagnose early, um, identifying those peripilar. grayish or or, or whitish halos um, is uh, sometimes you might even see pilar peri- uh, erythema when it's really inflamed I think that's very helpful I think palpation is helpful we might see uh, bogginess in some in, in some instances especially um, uh, in the vertex scalp in a very active case of CCCA and symptomatology I think is important and the patient tells you that or you can out from the history that there's uh, a soreness or tenderness or other sensations in the scalp that really tells you that the, that the condition is active. Anything else you would add?
2: Yeah, what you mentioned is is fantastic. I also like to do trichoscopy directed biopsy. So just like you mentioned, um, you know, obviously we don't want a biopsy right in the center of you know a bald patch or you know an area that looks like it may have been burnt out. I like to look at the periphery um, to see where there may be some additional activity, and then I also like to use my dermatoscope to see, like you mentioned, are there signs of you know FFA LPP? Are there signs of CCCA? Are there signs of traction. Sometimes you can see hair casts um, and other things that that may give us um, some clues. So I try to use my dermatoscope to to get as many clinical clues as I can. And then I also use it um, to inform where I'm going to do my biopsy.
1: I completely agree. I find that to be very useful in terms of directing where to do the biopsy. Much higher higher yield.
2: Than- Absolutely.
1: Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you for sharing your, your practical pearls and managing uh, scarring alopecias in our patients with skin of color. And I look forward to joining you again to discuss some other interesting topics in skin of color. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Practical Dermatology, the podcast. Check back soon for part three in our Skin of Color Society podcast series for an update on the use of lasers and energy-based devices in patients with darker skin tones.